And the thing that's been on my, in my mind a lot uh, leading up to this week is um, this thing, I say it a lot in connections, I've said it here before, and, and, and it's this idea about, about the way that people outside the church perceive church people. So if you talk to someone, they say, hey, you know, hey, you should totally come to church with us sometime. And I'm like, man, I ain't doing that. I'm not coming to church. Well, why would you come to church? She'd be great. Why should you come to church? I'm not coming to church. This church is full of hypocrites. No one ever misses that question, right? It's, 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 the, it's the easy quiz. We may not know the, the order of the books of the Bible or anything, man, but we know that, right? So we, we know. So, so, so churches, church, church full of hypocrites. And, um, you know, you know why they say that, right? Huh? How are you afraid to say it? Because you're in church. <laughs> the church is full of hypocrites, and I'm here. And, um, right, it's true. It's not only true, it, it, they have a story. It's particularly true. It's not some vague concept that they've come up with. It's not some impression that they have. It's not something they've heard about. They, they have a story. And when we go through our membership class, there's these kind of these six things that we talk about that we need to be able to expect from each other. And, and one of them is that we need to protect the church. And in that sense, we kind of talk about protect the reputation. We need to, we need to protect the reputation of our church. And the way that I uh, describe that is like as, for example, if you're going to put a, one of those Jesus fish on the back of your car, don't flip nobody off. Right? I mean, it's just real simple. It's like, if I'm going to say that I represent Christ, if I'm going to say that I represent this church, we need to be able to expect from each other that, that, that we're going to protect the church. And um, so these people, they have this story, and what I encourage you and people who go through connections is we, we don't want to be somebody else's story. Because there comes a point where I think we all have to make a switch. Where this idea that church is full of hypocrites is something that we complain about that they are. You know how they are. They're hypocrites. And then there's this, there's this they out there. And then again, there's the one day we recognize, wait, church is full of hypocrites. And I'm what's filling up this church. And it's not a question about whether or not they are hypocrites. I have to ask myself. Am I living my life in such a way where I'm perpetuating that idea? Am I keeping that going by the way that I live my life? And I don't want to do that. I want to honor God's reputation. I want to honor this church's reputation. And I want to live life in such a way where no one would ever look at me and my life and say that you're a hypocrite. You know, it happens to me a lot. It happens to me, um, this idea where I'm out in public and someone I don't know will come up to me and say, Hey, you're, 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 the, you're the pastor at, at, at the Grove Church. My, my wife just took this job, right, at this missions agency that has headquarters downtown. They had this new staff dinner, and, and, and I was there at this thing with my wife because she's new staff. And apparently there's some people there that I didn't know that apparently knew me. It's like, is he leaving the Grove? What's he doing here? That's so, is Charlie coming? I was like, it's his wife. Calm down. But my whole life is like that, where people know who I am and are observing me. It happens to me at, at, at Chick-fil-A's. It happens to me in gas stations. It happens to me in grocery stores. It happens to me all the time. Like somebody will come up to me at, 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 at Chick-fil-A in the morning, and they'll start talking to me, and I'm like, what, 
And I was like, well, I wonder what, what was I doing before that? You know, like I look at a lot of different political sites, right to left, and I think, like, what political website was up on my iPad at the time, and what do they think about me now? Like, because I'm just, I'm just, my brain's just kind of going, right? What are they thinking about me? Because who I was in the three minutes before they came up to me, this person that I don't know but knows me, well, that's going to tell them something about me. And this happens to me all the time, so I have to be real careful about how I live, right? People are always watching whether I, I know that they are or not. You say, yeah, of course that's true for you because you're a pastor. And here's the thing that I cannot emphasize with you enough. It happens to me more often because of my job, but it happens to you more intensely than it does to me. Because there are some people in your life that are looking exclusively to you to decide whether or not following Christ is real or not. You may not want that job, but it is a job that is yours. And we have to make sure that we're going to be the kind of people that do not live in such a way where we continue this idea that church is full of hypocrites and we need to decide that we're not going to have any use for it. And the reality of it is Paul doesn't have any use for it either. And all throughout different letters that he writes, he talks about this all the time. He talks about it, it's like, man, you know, we used to be like this before you were a Christian and then God does this awesome thing in your life and you're still living like this. It doesn't make any sense. And it's frustrating to him. And now here we are, he's getting to this point with the Ephesians. Apparently this was an issue for them. That maybe he's first like, maybe you don't understand what God did for you. Well, if I explain this to you now, okay, now, if this is what God did for you, you know that this is what this means for your life. You cannot continue to live this way. And so he's talking about this pretty intensely, I believe. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So Paul says something. He's like, man, if, if you are an immoral person, an impure person, a greedy person, those people are separated from God. This is the way he says right here. They, they, have, they have no inheritance with God. When, when they, they, they will not inherit any of the good things that God has. And it says actually God's wrath is upon them. Last week he talked about this kind of... Last week for us, but the previous chapter, right? he just talks about this idea of separation. The separation that we have from God. And I was talking about the wrath of God. He's talking about you don't have any inheritance with God. That if you are apart from Him, if you are living a life of sin, and you are separated from God, man, you feel, you feel God's wrath on you. And, and you have no part of His inheritance. Because it's idolatry. It's idolatry to live a life um, where you're following something other than God. And if you're following your sin and your desires, you're not following God. And that's following something else. That's, that's worshiping an idol. And, you can't, and people who do that, man, they're lost. They're separated. And he's like, man, you don't 
Don't be partners with that. Don't get involved in that. And here's the thing that you need to understand. As he's describing, he's like, man, these people who are, who are just captivated by sin and ultimately separated from God and His goodness. And the thing that he's trying to communicate to them is like, you know the situation that these people are in and how bad it is, and you need to understand this, that you, you're no longer a sinner. You're no longer a sinner. You think, well, wait a second here. It was, it, it was just on the drive over here, actually. Um, if you had... If you'd, if, you'd, if you'd seen that, I'm not talking about what I did last night or, or Tuesday. I'm just talking about between my garage and the parking lot. If you had seen that, I mean, there's not, there was only three cars on the road. There's only three cars on the road, and they were all out to get me. And I'm just glad, like you said, I don't have Jesus fish on the back of my car, right? And so, and so I'm, I'm, I know you, it says, you know, I'm still a sinner. And here's the thing that we need to understand, and this is an important kind of theological concept for us to understand, is that you may be someone who still sins, but you're not a sinner. And we'll try to explain it this way. If you tell one lie, are you a liar? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, if a liar is someone who tells a lie, then yeah, I mean, you tell one lie, you're a liar. And I get that. By one definition of that word, if a liar is simply someone who tells a lie, then yes, they're a liar. But if you tell one lie, would it be said of you that your heart and, and nature is that of someone who always tells lies? You are just someone who just seems incapable of telling the truth. You're constantly lying. You are a liar. Well, that seems extreme. You know, I mean, I just told one lie. And so by one definition of a liar, you are a liar. You told a lie. But by this other definition of, you're, you're not in of yourself a liar. We know people who are like that, and some of you may be that. Some of you, may, this may be a struggle that you have. But there's a difference between being someone who tells a lie and being a liar. I mean, the, obviously, I think the, the, counter, the counter example to that seems to be murder, right? I mean, it's like, you, you commit one murder, you're a murderer, right? It's not like you're just like, well, I, I didn't murder all the people. <laughs> It's just the one, maybe, maybe two, maybe a third one you don't know about, right? I mean, it's just, you know, but, and so, and so sin, yes, I am still someone who commits sin. But you need to understand that because of what Jesus Christ has done in your life, if you have received what he did, his death on the cross, and made it personal for you, and have new life in him, you are no longer a sinner. Your life is no longer characterized by sin. And before that, before we have Christ in our life, there's this kind of hopelessness and self-destruction that seems to characterize our life. And it just seems like that no matter what I do, I'm bringing destruction and, 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 and damage to my own life and to my relationships and, and my relationship with God. You know, when Paul talks about it in Ephesians 2, he talks about you being spiritually dead. That is no longer the situation that you're in. You are no longer that. You may still be someone who sins. You may still be someone who 
does things that you shouldn't. But you're no longer a sinner. And I think that this is an important theological concept for you to understand. Because if you recognize, I am no, this is no longer who I am. And I no longer have to live under the guilt and shame and fear and, and defeatedness that I feel. But I am someone who has been made new from the inside by Jesus Christ. I no longer have to be ashamed. I no longer have to be afraid. I no longer have to feel defeated because God has made me new. If you will believe that about yourself, if you will believe this truth about yourself, if you will believe this truth about what God thinks about you, you will live differently. If you still act and live like someone who is still hopeless and under this kind of oppressive, this oppressive nature of sin well, then you're going to live differently. And so you need to know that God has made you new and you no longer are a sinner. And like I said, this is an important truth, but I think what has happened to it is that over time, the idea has been very poorly applied. It's been poorly applied because... So I say, hey, guess what? You're not a sinner. People who don't know Christ, they're sinners. And so we think about it in terms of like, well, well, that makes me better than them. And we use this as some sort of club of divisiveness to make me, we, we're the good ones. And they're the bad ones. But that is never meant to be uh, the, the implication of this. This is never how it was supposed to be applied. This, it's not about you comparing yourself to someone who doesn't have Christ. The fact that you are no longer a sinner, the appropriate application of that is to compare who you are to who God has called you to be. If it is true that I am no longer a sinner, then why am I living like this? Why is this true of my life? And so this is the point that Paul's trying to make to them. It's like, listen... This is what it looks like for someone to be a sinner. You you don't want to be a part of that. And um, so we continue on. We kind of kind of that that idea there in verse seven. In verse seven, he kind of he kind of emphasizes that point. He says, "Therefore, therefore, do not be partners. Do not be partners with them. Do not get in on that." And continues on in verse eight. For you were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Again, the contrast. You just used to be who you are. You used to be darkness. You used to be a sinner. But you're not that anymore. You are now light. God has made you new. So if this is who you are, you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper! Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Obviously, we, we don't say that, but obviously some little poem or like a little song that they have here, and even though we don't really talk like that, we don't really quote poems at each other. Um, I like it. 
Wake up, sleeper. You're asleep. You're dead. Wake up. Come to life. Let Jesus shine. Because you're you're, you're living this life like you're still dead. You're living your life like you're you're, you're still asleep. And and you need to wake up. I mean, this was once true of you, but it's it's not true of you anymore. So live like children of light. And so you're no longer a sinner. So don't live like one. I mean, it's a pretty simple point. I mean, this is a pretty simple point that Paul's making here. You're not a sinner anymore. This is no longer who you are. And this is no longer who you are. Don't live like that anymore. It does not make sense for you. And and his description here in these verses, my guess is, if you've been reading along with me, you know, and sometimes you don't, you know, it's kind of like verse time, you just kind of tune out and try to bring it back when the slide changes, right? Um, Not you, just other people. But if you're really reading along with this, he's got some harsh things to say about impurity and immorality and greed, darkness. Harsh words. The wrath of God. It's because this is serious. It's serious. I mean, sin is It's damaging. It damages you. It damages other. It hurts your relationship with God. And there was a time in your life when that was the only thing that was really true about you with respect to God was this kind of rebellion and sin against Him. And now God has completely made you new. Why would you continue to live like this? It does not make any sense. And it's time to stop. And so what Paul does, he's like, man, here's the things you need to understand. And he says it a couple of different ways. One in the first part of the passage you looked at, and again right here. Um, he's like, because he's kind of got these different groups. Here's the things that you need to do. If you're going to live like a Christian, here's what you need to do. Now, if I did this with you right now, it's like, hey, I want you to pull out a piece of paper and a pen, and I want you to make a list. And I want you to make a list. If I were to say to you, you need to live like a Christian, what does that mean? Make a list. And so you get out of the list, you start writing things down. And here's the thing that I, that, that, that I believe, is that there, these lists would be very different from, from person to person, but they would fall into kind of one of two categories. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, actually. And I bring up things that we've talked about in the past because I want you to feel this kind of big picture idea that, that Paul's making here. All right? So you got this one list. It would be the list that I would make that, that 17-year-old Charlie would have made at his church growing up. Here's the list. You, know, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have sex outside of marriage, and you, you, you don't drink alcohol, and you don't, and, and you don't do drugs, and, 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 and you do... You just you need to be a, you need to do all these things these, these kind of more come to church give your money we have this list of all these things and a lot of it has to do with just kind of your personal morality that'd be one list and somebody else would come that's that's not the list they've got it all wrong here's the list the list is love people be, be a champion for the for the hopeless show the love of God to people who desperately need love. You know, do, do service projects, help, help the hurting. That would be the list. And so we've got these two lists. And here's the thing that I want you to notice, that twice already in this passage, Paul references both of the lists. Verse 1, he says, uh, verse 1 and 2, he says, Walk in the way of love. Which is this list, right? And then in the very next verse, verse 3, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or impurity 
or greed because these are improper. That's this list. This passage we just talked about. Live as children of light, goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's this list. And then he's got this other list. This other list over here. I mean, it's like, don't have anything to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. It's shameful to even think about what disobedient people do in secret. It's both the lists. And so this is a little off, but we're just, this, this is important for me to say, I think. Um, if someone tells you, hey, let me tell you, my brother, let me tell you, let me tell you what the Christian life is all about. And they get real serious. This is what the Christian life is all about. If what they say is like five words or less, uh, put the book away. Turn off the podcast. They ain't right. Because it's never that simple. Oh, man, it's Christian life. It's just, it's, just about, it's just about love, man. It is about love. I would even say maybe primarily about love. But when you say it that way, you're missing something. Because there's this idea out there. There's this idea out there that what you do in private, if what you're doing doesn't hurt anyone, it's okay. As long as someone's getting hurt, it's okay. Because the only thing that matters is hurting people. And so that what I do in private is fine. And, and, and Paul says the exact opposite of that here. It's actually the things that are happening in private, those things are shameful. And we, it, 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 we shouldn't even talk about them. And those things need, need to be exposed. Because the reality of it is, even the things that you do in private, those are hurting somebody. One, it's hurting you. It's damaging your own soul. It's, it's hindering your relationship with God. And let's say that you're living a life in such a way in private that is damaging your soul. It's hindering your relationship with God. You don't think that spills out? into your relationships with other people? Of course it does. So the things that you do in private, those are hurting other people. And we cannot live like that anymore. And this phrase, I'm telling you, man, it's, I don't know if haunting me is the right word, captivating me, but there's this thing that he says here, that it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. So what he's talking about here is, man, there's some things that you, you, you folks are doing that if I were to mention them in this letter, you would be offended by it. And I was like, yikes. But then I started to think about it. Man, that's true. There are some things out there that we as a society have considered to be normal and regular. Not great, but fine, just kind of what people do. That if I were to describe it to you, you would be offended What's he talking about? I'll just give you one. Something that 80% of men and apparently 35 to 40% of women are struggling with. So I'll say it this way. I'll, descri- I'll just start describing it to you. You raise your hand when you think I should stop. I'm just kidding. Don't. <laughs> so you go into your room or some private place with an internet-connected device. You put in your earbuds. And then you open up a, a private um, web page. And then you go to the Google search. And then you type into the Google search. Swing, raise your hand. Now, if I were to describe what you put into that Google search, some of you would be offended. Then what if I kept going? 
And then a video pops up. And then you click on the video. And let me tell you what happens in that video. And I start describing that video to you. And you're going to be mad. I can't believe. I can't believe I was in church today. I was in church today. You will not believe what he said. He started talking about... And you're just like... I'm so, so offended. You'd be offended for me to talk about it. It would be completely inappropriate for you to even say that. But yet we've normalized it in our private lives. It's shameful to talk about it, but it's normal to do it. It's ridiculous. We cannot live this way. We are no longer sinners. So we cannot live like one. Now here's the problem though. The problem again, this is me kind of leaning a little bit on my background and the kind of churches I was involved in as a kid and kind of these stereotypes that are out there. That typically this is kind of where the message ends, right? This is where, now we're done, right? You don't stop being a hypocrite. We've, we've called out a few of the awful things that you're doing, you're the immorality and the impurity, and, and now you're supposed to feel bad. Feel bad! Guilt, shame, I'm better than you, and you need to live like me, because I'm right and you're wrong, and stop being hypocrites, because you're being a hypocrite, and your hypocrisy is destroying the church's reputation and, and your relationship with God. Now get out there and be different than what you are. Right? And then you walk out of here with this heavy oppressiveness. And, and you've been living a life, what Paul's talking about is living this life of guilt and shame, but God makes you new, so you don't have to do that anymore, but I still struggle with this guilt and shame. And so my answer to that for you today is to pile more guilt and shame. So if I give you enough guilt and shame and I make you feel bad enough, that will be enough motivation to help you overcome the guilt and shame that you already brought in here with you. And it just doesn't work that way. It never has. And so then, then what we need is, well, we need angrier pastors. And, well, it just wasn't quite enough shame. And so I'm going to figure out more creative ways to shame you even further. And it seems like we never really get to the practical solution to the problem. Verse 15. Be very careful then how you live. Not like unwise people, but wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul continues this point to completion by saying, and here's how you're going to be able to overcome this. And you'll notice we moved out of all the guilt language, all the shame language, all the oppression, all the, all the, all the heavy talk. And now he's talking about how you can connect with God in such a way where you're going to be able to overcome all of this. And we'll say it this way. You're no longer a sinner, so don't live like one by being filled with the Spirit. 
It's what he says right there in verse 18. He said, don't get drunk on wine. That leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now that verse 18, it's some, it's some groups of people's favorite, church, favorite, favorite verse, right? Don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. As if that's the primary point of that idea. I mean, it is a solid point. Don't get drunk. Why? Because it leads to debauchery. You don't need to field test that anymore, right? It's been, it's been field tested plenty for thousands of years. Right? You know, I, wonder if, I wonder if that's true. You know it's true. But the point, the big picture point that he's trying to make is like, here's what happens when you get drunk. You take something on the outside, you put it on the inside, and you get so much of this outside thing in you on the inside that it begins to take over, which leads to debauchery, right? But instead of that, be filled with the Spirit. You take this thing that is outside of you, you put it inside of you, and you allow its presence in you to be so large that it begins to take control of your life. So we've been talking about this over the last few weeks, that the solution for us is to make the voice of God louder in our lives. I need more of Him, and I need His voice to be loud and loud so that I can live, I can hear that voice and follow what He's telling me to do. So that's His big picture idea. Be filled with the Spirit. Well, how do I do that? Well, He's got a great list here. He says we need to understand what God's will is. How do you do that? By reading and studying the Bible and going to places that teach the Bible. Okay? We need, it says we need to speak truth to each other. For our context, we'll just call that small group. I'm going to be around people who can tell me the things that I need to know and need to do and we can encourage each other with that. It says we need to worship. Make music from your heart. Sing songs. We need to worship. We need to pour out our hearts to God in that way. And it says you need to be thankful to Him for everything. We'll just call that prayer. So these really simple, basic, from the times you two-year-old, going to church kind of ideas. What do I need to do to, to get better? Well, you should, you should go to church. You should read the Bible. You should pray. And you should go to the Sunday school or small group, whatever your church has. Those things didn't become stereotypes because some American decided this is... These are just real things. These are the things that we need. These are the things that make God's voice loud. I pray. I get into His Word. I hear His Word. I encourage each other. I pour out my heart to God in worship. And my relationship with God gets closer and stronger. And, then, and, and, and my soul becomes healthy and gets nourished. And then His voice is loud. And then I don't have to live like that anymore. You don't ha- I don't have to tell you that the things that you're doing are damaging your soul. I don't have to tell you. The, the only thing I can really do is remind you. We know that it's true. But too many of us have surrendered to hopelessness because we have not made the voice of God loud enough in our lives. And that's why we come together. That's why we're about to worship some more. That's why the prayer team has been praying for you. That's why we we have an opportunity to pray in the back. That's why we're going to sing. That's why we talk about God's Word. That's why you need to get into a small group. Because we need to make God's voice loud. I don't want you to walk out of here. I don't want you to walk out of here defeated. I don't want you to walk out of here shamed. 
I want you to possibly walk out of here for the first time that maybe there is hope in your life to overcome the things that you are doing in private and to become the person in public that you know that God wants you to be. That maybe for the first time I think, I can do this. There is hope for my life. There is hope for my soul. And I'm going to see God do something awesome in and through my life. I want you, we said this last week too, you need to feel the appropriate amount of guilt. Right? And then I want you to be overwhelmed with hope. So let's worship. Let's give There's communion, there's prayer candles, the cross. There's lots of ways to respond. But let's work together to make the voice of God loud in our life so we no longer have to live that way anymore. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you, God, for the hope that we have in him. And God, I pray that we would not live like hopeless people. God, we would not live like we are sinners. But God, that we would live lives of hope and joy and peace and goodness. That we would love the people. That in our private lives, we would honor you. And God, that you would deepen our soul and our relationship with you every day. I pray that we would never surrender to hopelessness. And God, we thank you for your son who died on the cross for us, who who made it all possible. And God, I pray that, that your voice would be loud in our lives and we would be filled with your spirit. That God, that you would take over. And you would do the thing in my life and through my life that I was never able to do myself. And again, we are thankful for your son and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.